0: Lord God, um, like we sang, though we may not see what the future brings, we will watch and wait for you, Savior King. We do look forward to the joy of standing face to face with you, the Ancient of Days. We thank and praise you for being our God who is able and who forever reigns. Lord, we look around and we see so much suffering and injustice in the world around us. Persecution, civil injustices, hunger, poverty. It can be hard to see and understand why these things happen, and we need you to help us see beyond our narrow earthly view. May we somehow comprehend that your kingdom and throne will remain and ever stand, that Jesus has already conquered through his sacrificial act on the cross. May our brothers and sisters who suffer patiently endure and may those who don't know you yet come to know you and your love. Lord, there's even suffering in our local church body. We each know or know of someone who is either physically or emotionally hurting. We want to rely not on ourselves, but on you, God, who raises the dead. On you, we have set our hope. And so we come to you in bold prayer for those who are suffering. We'll each silently lift up our prayers for some of those people that we know now. Daniel 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said,
1: In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being and the mind of humans given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time.
0: I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all of this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the most high will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the 10 horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom." He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The 10 horns are 10 kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue the three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever." Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Thank you, Stephen. And now I'll invite Bernard up to walk us through that text.
2: Well, thank you, uh, Christine and Stephen for that reading of God's word. Well, let's pray. God our father we thank you for the scriptures that you've given us which you testify to yourself and to the lord jesus christ um, some are easy to understand some are difficult to understand and we bow in humility before this text we pray for your spirit to move among us and give us understanding and focus us on the right things um, we thank you for this uh, glimpse that we get of seeing you in your glory and the one like a son of man receiving that eternal dominion um we uh, pray that you be present with us in our minds, in our hearts, in our wills, in how we respond to this text. would be to your glory and praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Happy New Year. Uh, happy Lunar New Year. It's the year of the tiger. Last Tuesday, we left behind the year of the ox and moved into the year of the tiger. So the ox and the tiger, these are both... Uh, Animals of great power, not like the, uh, the rat that was just before the ox or the rabbit that's coming after the tiger. Uh, p- great power here. Um, now, the ox is a domesticated animal, so its great power can be harnessed for human good. But the tiger is a wild animal. It's constantly, uh, always at risk of breaking out in ferocious power, as uh, Roy and Siegfried found to their cost in uh, Las Vegas, uh, what, 20 years ago. Uh, Now, the English poet uh, William Blake wrote a poem called The Tiger, 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 burning bright in the shadows of the night. And that's a vivid image for me because, as many of you know, I went to school in the jungle in Malaysia and there were tigers in the jungle. And a few years after I left that school, uh, one of the staff painted this lovely mural on the walls of the dining hall, and it's still there. I saw it a few years ago. Um, So a mama tiger uh, watching over her two playful cubs. (laughs) But tigers are not safe. Um, And in my first year at the school, the the school dog, a German shepherd called King, disappeared, taken by a tiger. Well, later in his poem, the tiger, Blake asks, Did he smile his work to see? Did he who made the lamb make thee? Indeed, he then went on and wrote a whole nother poem called The Lamb. Little lamb, who made thee? Dost thou know who made thee? So William Blake seems to be fascinated by the fact that God the creator could have made both the tiger and the lamb in his creation, the tiger, a symbol of uh, ferocious power, and the lamb, a symbol of weak vulnerability, that both were the uh, the product of the creator's hands. Now, today we return to the book of Daniel after a five-month break. Now, there are no tigers in Daniel, but there are ferocious wild beasts, a lion, a bear, a leopard, and a fourth beast that is beyond comparison. And since it's been five months, let me give a a brief recap of the book. Uh, The book has two halves. The first six chapters are six individual stories that are set within the royal court in Babylon. And they feature Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were Jewish exiles. They'd been taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. And these stories show how they remained loyal to their God in a foreign land. The second half of the book, chapters seven through 12, is a sequence of four visions that are seen by Daniel. The book also divides another way in half. Half the chapters are in Hebrew and half the chapters are in Aramaic, which was the international language of the Babylonian and Persian empires. And the Aramaic chapters two through seven follow a chiastic pattern as you see there on the screen. And the theme of this structure is not the faithfulness of the Jews, but the identity of the true empire and its ruler. Now the kings in Babylon think that they rule the world, but they must learn that there is a higher throne and that their empire is not eternal. Now of this structure, the outer envelope, chapters two and seven, feature visions of a sequence of four kings or kingdoms. So chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar's vision of a four-part statue, and in chapter seven, Daniel's vision of four beasts. The Babylonian empire must fall to be followed by further empires until ultimately God's eternal empire. The middle pair, chapters three and six, feature faithful Jews defying imperial edicts to worship or pray to human emperors, to whom that is inappropriate. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced certain death in the blazing fiery furnace in chapter three, and Daniel faced certain death in the lion's den in chapter six. Yet in both cases, God delivered them. And then the middle pair, chapters three and six, feature faithful Jews Sorry, the inner pair feature the humbling of two kings, Nebuchadnezzar in chapter four and Belshazzar in chapter five. So who is truly sovereign? Is it the king of the mighty Babylonian empire or is it Yahweh, the God of the Jews? Until the human eye, it seems that Babylon is supreme. Mighty Babylon has conquered Jerusalem, destroying the temple, the palace, the city walls, taking Jews captive to Babylon. But chapter one has made it very clear that it is the Lord who has given Jerusalem, its king, and the temple vessels into Babylon's hands. Babylon is God's instrument of judgment upon his unfaithful people. Now, it takes three chapters two through four, for mighty Nebuchadnezzar the Great to learn that he is not so great. And by the end of chapter four, he has learned his lesson. And he says, I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures for generation to generation. But his successor, King Belshazzar, defied God And so divine judgment fell on him and on Babylon. Both king and empire were overthrown by the next empire. Now, chapter seven forms a hinge in the middle of the book. It closes the chiasm of the Aramaic section, looking back to that vision of chapter two, but it does also the first of Daniel's four visions. So it looks ahead to chapters eight through 12 in which Daniel is shown what will happen far beyond the end of the Babylonian captivity. So here in uh, Daniel seven, as we heard it read for us, Daniel saw four beasts rising from the sea. Now the sea is chaos and these beasts are destructive. The first three are like a lion, a bear, a leopard, wild beasts that lurked beyond civilize, civilization and threatened life with destruction. They're also hybrid creatures, further emphasizing their chaotic nature. The lion and the leopard have wings, and the leopard has four heads. And then the fourth beast is terrifying beyond description, crushing and devouring and trampling. This beast has 10 horns, from which emerged a little horn speaking arrogantly. But Daniel also saw into the heavenly realm, and he saw the Ancient of Days surrounded by his court. The court ruled, the beasts were judged, the first three were stripped of their rule, and the fourth was slain. And Daniel also saw one like a son of man coming on the clouds into the presence of the Ancient of Days, where he was given eternal dominion. Daniel asked for the meaning of what he had seen, and the interpretation was given. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the most high will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. So it's the same message as chapter two. There will be a succession of human rulers and empires. Oceans rise, empires fall, all human empires will pass away replaced by God's eternal kingdom, which is given both to the one like a son of man and to the faithful saints of the most high. And so God's people are given hope for the future. Well, this much we covered five months ago. But Daniel is not satisfied with this answer, and some of you were not either. You were disappointed that I stopped at this very point and you've been waiting five months for me to start again. So Daniel wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, the 10 horns, and the little horn, and so do many, many other people. The fourth beast, the 10 horns, and the little horn have long captivated people's imaginations, and there's been an enormous speculation over their identities. Very, very much has been written on this. And some of you have studied this matter and are eager to see what I'm going to say. So I'm aware yet again, as has been a few times, that I'm speaking to two different uh, audiences here. Uh, to those of you who, have, uh, for, who are familiar with this debate, who have uh, are familiar with the topic and have read a lot about it, and then those for whom this is strange, unfamiliar territory. So let's venture out into this um, sort of minefield, as it were. Uh, Three times our attention is focused upon the fourth beast. First in Daniel's vision in verse seven, a fourth beast terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth, it crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts. Next, in his request for the meaning, in verse 19, the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. And then finally, in the interpretation, in verse 23, the fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. So this fearsome destructiveness of this fourth beast is drilled into us. It is different from the other beasts. It's so brutal and destructive that it cannot be compared to any wild animal like the lion, the bear, or the leopard. With iron teeth and bronze claws to crush and devour and trample, this is nature red in tooth and claw on steroids. This fourth beast is a fourth kingdom. But which kingdom? Is it the Seleucid Empire of Antiochus Epiphanes in the early second century BC? Or is it the Roman Empire of the first century AD? Well, this is the same question posed by the four-part statue of chapter two. And I'll give the same answer as I gave six months ago. So I think it is neither. Um, I think the number four is being used symbolically in two ways. Firstly, Four represents universality. Here, the universality of human empire. And secondly, four is being used to indicate escalation. Three, yay, four. There will be a sequence of human empires. Three, yay, four. With the fourth being the human empire in its fullest state. Human empire is destructive, and the fourth empire will be destructive to the nth degree. It is human, arrogant pretension to power, reaching its telos. It's full flowering, but also it's terminus. I don't identify the fourth beast of Daniel 7 as any particular empire, but I am sure that the Jews living in this early second century BC rightly saw the Seleucid Empire as the fourth beast and that the Jews of the first century AD and the Christians rightly saw the Roman Empire as the fourth beast. Now well, this beast has 10 horns, which are 10 kings, and from their midst emerges a little horn, which is also a king and conquers three of the 10 kings. And just like for the beast, attention is focused three times on this little horn. First in Daniel's vision in verse eight, this horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Next, in his request for the meaning, verse 21, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them. And finally, in the interpretation, verse 25. He will speak against the most high and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands. This little horn also follows a similar three plus one pattern. The first three beasts yield to a fourth beast that is different and climactic. So the three kings yield in the same way, yield to a fourth king that is different and climactic. The fourth beast is human empire in its climactic manifestation. The little horn is the individual human ruler in its climactic manifestation. Now, there is a disturbing new element here in the second half of Daniel's vision. The little horn wages war against the saints of the Most High and defeats them. Moreover, the saints are delivered into his hand. Who delivers them? Well, God will allow his saints, his faithful people, to be attacked. Under Babylonian rule, the Jews had suffered exile and captivity as divine judgment upon their wickedness. But this is different. Time is coming when God's people will suffer while being faithful. Indeed, they will suffer for being faithful. They will be martyrs, killed for their faithfulness to God. And this is what happened under the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes of the Seleucid Empire in the years 167 to 164 BC. He attempted cultural genocide to wipe out the faith and practice of the Jews in Jerusalem. He was the little horn. But this also happened under the Roman emperors of the first century AD, whether Caligula or Nero or Domitian, they were the little horn. Each viewed himself as divine, as God made manifest on earth. Indeed, this is the meaning of the title that Antiochus gave himself, that he used to proclaim himself to the world, Epiphanes, God made manifest the earthly manifestation of the great God's use. And certain Roman emperors did the same. God manifest on earth. Well, how long would God allow this to happen, the persecution of the saints? Well, as you saw in verse 21, Daniel saw that the little horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. And then in verse 25, he was told, the holy people will be delivered into his hands for, for a time, times, and half a time. How long? For a time, two times, and half a time. Usually interpreted as three and a half years. And I think this is best understood as half of seven. It is not a full period of time, that would be seven, but it's cut short. It may seem interminable, but the time will be fulfilled. And then the Ancient of Jays will issue his judicial ruling. Verse 26, the court will sit and his power, that's the power of the little, little horn, will be taken away and completely destroyed forever then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. There will be justice in the end. The divine court will sit. The Ancient of Days will rule in favor of the saints of the Most High, in favor of the martyrs. But such a verdict does not save them from death. They have already died at the hands of the little horn. But there will be justice beyond the grave, beyond death. So how does this justice happen? Well, our women have been studying Revelation chapter 13 this past week. Um, There was no attempt to coordinate calendars to uh, make this happen. Uh, but it is very fortuitous because all you ladies, your minds are in Revelation 13, and you will have seen how that the imagery of Daniel 7 permeates Revelation chapter 13. The beast of Revelation is all four beasts of Daniel 7 rolled into one. It rises from the sea. It has seven heads, the total of the four beasts of Daniel. It is like a leopard, like a bear, like a lion but it is also specifically the fourth beast. It has 10 horns topped with 10 crowns, the diadems of rulers, for the 10 horns are 10 kings. It is also the little horn, given a mouth uttering proud words and blasphemies for 42 months, that is three and a half years, the time, times, and half a time of Daniel. And the beast is allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. So again, who does the allowing? It is God. Within the mystery of God's purposes is allowing his people to be conquered by the forces of evil. Now this verb conquer, is a very important word in Revelation. It's crucial to understanding the book. There in chapter 13, verse seven, we saw the beast conquers the saints, but, In chapter 12, we're told that the dragon, that they have conquered the dragon by the blood of the lamb and by their faithful testimony, even unto death. They are the martyrs, faithful in witness, which is the original meaning of martyr, and faithful faithful witnesses even unto death, which became the meaning of martyr. And they follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who is the archetypal witness and martyr. And this all makes sense in both Daniel and Revelation, only when seen through the lens of Christ. Now William Blake juxtaposed the tiger and the lamb, for the Bible knows nothing about the tiger. It instead juxtaposes the lion and the lamb in the person of Jesus. John, like Daniel, has a vision into God's heavenly court. And in chapter five, we read that he hears, see, the lion of Judah has triumphed, or that has conquered. And he looks to see, and what does he see? He expects to see a lion, but he sees a lamb standing as though slain. And here, as elsewhere in Revelation, John hears one thing, and he sees another thing, and yet the two are the same. The conquering lion and the slain lamb are the same. More than that, the lion has conquered by being the slain lamb. Now, at the beginning of the book of Revelation, Jesus is described as the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And this is crucial. He is the faithful witness. He who before time was in the Father's loving embrace, gazing eye to eye into his Father's face, this very one has made God known to the world. That's John chapter one. But his faithful witness was rejected. For his faithful witness he was killed. But he is risen and is the firstborn from the dead of all those who will follow And he is the ruler of the kings of the earth, and we are called to follow him in faithful witness through death into resurrection life, into God's kingdom over which the risen Lord Jesus is king of kings and Lord of lords. And to those who faithfully follow him, Jesus promises, the end of chapter three, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus is the first conqueror and we conquer the same way that he conquered. Now, Revelation includes many words of pastoral counsel and among them are two calls for endurance and two calls for wisdom. The two calls for endurance Chapter, chapter 13, verse 10, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's beasts. That's immediately after talking about the, on uh, the um, part of God's people, immediately after talking about the beast. Then again in chapter 14, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God, who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. And then two calls for wisdom in verse thir- chapter 13, Uh, right in the context of the number of the beast, 666. And then in chapter 17, this calls for mind with wisdom. So all four words occur in the context of the beast and of those who are deceived into worshiping the beast. How do you resist the beast and his power? And the pressures to worship the beast? With endurance and faithfully following the lamb and with wisdom to see the beast for what it really is. It is not worthy of worship, and is headed for destruction. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego realized that Nebuchadnezzar was not worthy of being given worship. Just like Daniel realized that Darius was not worthy of being the only one to whom one could pray. Now, on Friday after I'd written this sermon, I read David Brooks's uh, weekly. Opinion column in the New York Times that comes out each Friday, and uh, this week's column uh, is very relevant for um, what I'd written. It's about the current divisions within the evangelical church, spawned by three big issues: uh, race, Trump, and sex abuse scandals. Um, And he writes, "Quote: The proximate cause of all this disruption is Trump, but that is not the deepest cause." Power is the core problem here. Power is the problem. Now, like many others over the past uh, couple of months, I've been listening to Christianity Today's podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mark, Mars Hill. Uh, Mark Driscoll, the senior pastor of Mars Hill Church in Seattle, built an empire. It's really, I think the only way one can describe it. Many were blessed, but many were hurt. And in Driscoll's own language, they were thrown off the bus, they were run over by the bus, and they joined the pile of dead bodies behind the bus. They got in the way of building the empire. But this is the language of the fourth beast that crushes and devours and tramples. And what came to light is that Driscoll was a narcissist like the little horn. And in 2014, the Mars Hill Empire suddenly collapsed, just like Babylon. Fallen, fallen, Babylon the Great, in just one hour. What also comes to light is that Driscoll's favorite image of Jesus was the rider on the white horse, from chapter 19, eyes blazing, sword flashing, and unfortunately, this image of Jesus nurtured a toxic masculinity in the Mars Hills culture. The central image of Jesus in Revelation is not the rider on the white horse, but the lamb, the lamb that was slain. Now, David Brooks does see signs for hope. And he cites a case from Fuller Seminary Uh, down in uh, Pasadena, which has a very diverse and international student body. Quote, after ISIS launched a series of deadly attacks against Egyptian Christians, some Americans at Fuller wanted to hold a memorial service. The Egyptian students said, in effect, what are you talking about? This is a cause for a celebration. This is about acknowledging what it means to live as a Christian in a context in which you have the privilege of martyrdom. That idea is foreign to most American Christians, but the Egyptians led a celebratory service which was followed by communion. Now we continue to pray for the persecuted church around the world, countries like Egypt. We highlight a different country each week in our E-news. Um, Just a few weeks ago, Voice of the Martyrs released its world watch list for 2022. Um, For the first time in 10 years, North Korea is not uh, country number one, it's now Afghanistan, North Korea is number two. So there are many countries around the world where being faithful to Jesus is costly. Now, God's path to victory is not the nature red and tooth and claw of the lion or the tiger, but the weak vulnerability of the lamb who died in our place that we might have life. God in Christ submitted himself to the brutality of human empire. Jesus was crushed, devoured, and trampled by the fourth beast of his day. But in the death of Christ on the cross, evil exhausted itself. God had absorbed the worst of evil. There was nothing worse that evil could do, having put God to death. And on the cross, God in Christ triumphed over all the evil forces, not with the strength of a lion, but with the weak vulnerability of a lamb. This is upside down power. This is the God whose people we are, whom we gather to worship. And this lamb is the one that we follow. Our lamb has conquered, let us follow him. And to remind us that it is the lamb that we follow, we regularly take communion, just like those Egyptian students at Fuller did. Well, we started our service with a reading from Revelation 11, and we want us to end with a reading from Revelation 5. I will play the role of the narrator, and you join in with uh, the chorus with the songs. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever. Forever. The four living creatures said, Amen. Amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Go in the peace, grace, love, joy, and hope that are ours in Christ Jesus, the Lamb whom we follow.